Hi, this is David Mattin and you're listening to the audio version of New World Same Humans number 36, published on the 27th of September 2020. You can find the links included in this instalment and a link to the text version on the New World Same Humans article page where this podcast is embedded. So, let's go. New World Same Humans is on a mission to better understand our shared future. This much you know. The idea sometimes strikes me, though, that two or three generations from now, our descendants will look back with scorn at our attempts to think about what lay ahead. In particular, I wonder if they'll repudiate us for not paying enough attention to the single overriding issue that, they'll come to believe, should have been our only real concern. I mean global heating. We talk about it a lot, of course, But will those descendants conclude that we spent far too much time fretting about other subjects, AI overlords, driverless cars, culture wars, and not enough about the disaster unfolding in front of our eyes? In a preemptive attempt to avoid that charge, this week's essay is about a heated world, specifically about the search for justice between nations in that world. I could pretend it's good news but you're far too smart for that. So instead, I'll tell you the truth. Things may be about to get very dark. With that, here comes this week's Sunday essay, which is called Two Dark Paths. One, questions of global climate justice will shape the 21st century. This year has turned out to be a noisy place to live, and that noise can drown out some important signals. Chinese President Xi Jinping spoke at the annual UN General Assembly this week. He surprised his audience with the announcement that China will aim to be carbon neutral by 2060. Amid the pandemic and an ever more fractious US presidential election year, the announcement made only a small splash. So, for context, China is the world's single largest greenhouse gas emitter responsible for 26% of the global total. The independent analysts, Climate Action Tracker, say that if China achieves carbon neutrality by 2060, this would lower global warming projections by around 0.2 to 0.3 degrees centigrade, the biggest single reduction ever estimated. Of course, there's a big difference between promising to do something and doing it. But given the stakes, if China meets its new target, then Xi's announcement may come to be seen as the most consequential moment of 2020, more important even than the pandemic or the US election. But I'm fascinated by another aspect of all this. That is the way Xi's announcement throws into new relief two huge questions about a heated world. First... When it comes to climate change, how do we find our way to a just settlement between nations, and in particular between the nations of the global north and those of the global south? Second, how do the liberal democracies of the global north respond to the demands that any such settlement would impose, in particular the possibility that they will be asked to accept millions of new migrants displaced by global heating? 
These are two huge questions about our shared future in the 21st century. The answers we find will do much to shape the decades ahead. But look closer and a troubling fault line runs through the middle of them. Now, some analysts are drawing the outlines of a dark and frightening idea. That is, that the demands placed on liberal democracies when it comes to global climate justice will prove unbearable, and that if they try to meet those demands, they will implode. 2. The global north was built on carbon. The global south is paying the price. First, some context. China has long been under pressure to do more on climate change. In the run-up to this year's General Assembly, the EU was pushing President Xi to make a meaningful new commitment or face punitive carbon tariffs in the years ahead. The CCP has grown irritated by these lectures, so Xi's announcement this week was widely seen as an attempt to wrest control of the narrative from the US and Europe. This wrangling is a reminder, if one were needed, of the central historical fact about a heated world, which is that responsibility for it is not equally distributed. In the ongoing movie that is climate change, the global north is the original bad guy. NASA scientist James Hansen estimates that between 1751 and 2006, the global north was responsible for 77% of all carbon emissions. The legacy of that past is massive global economic and energy inequality. Today, the average US citizen uses more than 10 times the energy of the average Indian and three times that of the average citizen in China. Look to poorer countries and the difference is even more stark. According to Foreign Affairs magazine, the average American is responsible for the emission of as much CO2 each year as 51 Mozambicans or 581 Burundians. Today, though, no one can claim that the global north is the entire problem. China and India are now big polluters. They say they simply want to elevate their standard of living to that of the average middle-class American. And who is the global north to stop them? But while the wrangling between rich and becoming rich nations continues, it's the poorest countries that will suffer most in a heated world. Back to Mozambique. In 2019, two cyclones crashed into the country, killing hundreds and causing $3 billion worth of economic damages. That's equivalent to 20% of Mozambique's GDP. Experts say there will be more such storms in future. Three, rich nations agreed to pay a climate debt and then didn't pay. In the face of this, what does global justice on climate change look like? Across the last decade, the idea of a climate debt has gained traction. This is the idea that the world's richest countries should transfer wealth to the poorest to pay for the damages done by climate change and to fund adaptation to clean energy in the developing world. At the Copenhagen Climate Talks in 2009, rich countries agreed to give $100 billion a year by 2020. Back then, some said it wasn't enough. A recent report called for rich countries to pay $300 billion per year by 2030. 
Even that is a compromise. The charity ActionAid say the annual cost of repairing damages caused by climate change will rise to 1.2 trillion by 2060. Climate debt proponents say this isn't only about justice. There's a practical imperative too. Without a massive transfer of wealth, poorer countries will struggle to adopt clean forms of energy. And that means global heating will be even worse. Meanwhile, we're now in 2020. The 100 billion a year promised by rich nations at Copenhagen, they're paying about one third of it. Four, the real moral conundrum still lies ahead. It's about migration. It's a fractious picture. There's broad agreement that global climate justice demands some transfer of wealth. There's little agreement on how much. And then there's getting the rich nations to pay the little they've agreed on. The trouble is, though, that the economic part of global climate justice is the easy part. There's an even more difficult problem looming on the horizon, and it isn't about the transfer of wealth. It's about transfers of people. Let's be real. We're highly likely to see warming beyond the 1.5 to 2 degrees threshold agreed in Paris. That will make parts of Earth difficult or impossible to inhabit, and then people will start to move. And if you thought the economic numbers were dizzying, then reckon with the migration numbers. The most widely shared estimate says climate change will force 200 million people to migrate into the global north by 2050. The International Organisation for Migration says the figure may reach 1.5 billion. The estimates vary wildly and they're all contested, but there's general acceptance that modest temperature rises will see hundreds of millions of people on the move. This will constitute the biggest migration of humans ever. There's really no comparable event in history. What's more, the reality of these migrations won't hinge on global climate accords, diplomatic wrangling and the usual will we or won't we improv games by the global north. These people aren't going to ask for permission. They're just going to come. So what to do? On the face of it, justice demands that the global north accept these migrants. That is the avowed position of mainstream climate groups such as Friends of the Earth who say they should be welcomed. Even these groups, though, seem reluctant to countenance the practicalities of what they suggest. If the rich countries of the world accept their fair share of climate migrants, that may mean tens of millions each. 5. Liberal democracies face a dark dilemma. Some analysts think that the rich world can still head off the risk of massive climate migration by taking determined action now to limit temperature rises. That should include paying the 300 billion a year and more that poor countries need to adapt. Others think it's simply too late to avoid two degrees of warming and the migrations that will follow. But they argue that liberal democracies can absorb the influx of people. Others still, though, point to a third and chilling possibility. They too believe that massive climate migrations are now inevitable, and they concede that fairness demands liberal democracies accept climate migrants. But they argue that if those democracies are to survive, 
they must not accept them. To do so, says this argument, would be to welcome the destruction of their democracies and most likely their end as nations in any meaningful sense of that word. This is the argument put forward in the starkest terms in a 2020 book called Climate Change and the Nation State by Georgetown University professor Anatole Levin. Levin says that if liberal democracies admit millions of new migrants, the resulting economic and political tensions will tear them apart, social cohesion will break down, and ultra-right populists will prosper. The most likely result, says Levin, is fascism. So Levin says that in future, rich nations will face a choice, one between doing the right thing by millions of displaced people or survival as liberal democracies. Given the alternative, he recommends they choose the latter. 6. We're blessed to live in interesting times. It takes a while to appreciate the full, dark force of this argument. Perhaps Levin is wrong. Perhaps rich countries can absorb millions of climate migrants and survive in their current form. But look to the fractiousness around migration that's already rippling through the US and European democracies. Look to Trump, Brexit and AFD, and that's hard to believe. In other words, take the current state of liberal democracy, then throw in 200 million or so climate refugees and stir. How does it look? We're left then with a tragic conclusion that carbon fueled industrialization has constructed around us a moral labyrinth from which there is now no escape, one in which affluent liberal democracies can respect the demands of climate justice or respect their own highest collective aspirations, but not both. That is a frightening thought. I don't claim to know if it's true. No one can know how events will play out, but from where I stand it seems at least a credible proposition and one we need to think more about. What is more clear, though, is that questions around global climate justice, around transfers of wealth and people, will profoundly shape the decades that lie ahead. And if, as seems likely, hundreds of millions of people in the poorest parts of the earth are forced to leave their homes and head northwards, then you and I will be blessed to live through interesting times. We still have a choice. Thanks so much for listening this week. This week's essay dealt with some difficult issues, but I still believe the citizens of earth have a choice, and those lucky enough to be affluent have a responsibility to face the challenges ahead with honesty and determination. At New World Same Humans, we're building a community dedicated in our own small way to doing just that. And now our community has grown to over 12,000 curious souls who believe we can work together to build a better shared future. There's one thing you can do to help make this community more useful, and that's invite more people inside. So if you found today's instalment engaging, why not take a second to forward this email to one person, a friend, family member or colleague who shares our fascination with the future or share New World Same Humans across one of your social networks and let people know why you find this newsletter valuable. All you have to do is navigate back to the article page where this podcast is embedded and hit the share button. 
Your membership of our community is valued. I'll be back on Wednesday with new week, same humans. Until then, be well.